Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You know, I have a question for you. Do you feel that you are economically better off? Are you making more money? Maybe, maybe you found a job, but have your wages actually increased? I was just talking to a friend yesterday in California, and he said, man, gas is going back up again, and it's almost $6. Now, California usually always have uh, high gas prices compared to the rest of the country. But the point that he was trying to make to me was that things are getting more expensive again. They are. You know, it's interesting because during the COVID pandemic, our government spent $6 trillion of deficit spending in the three years, and it increased household wealth by $31 trillion. Imagine that. Increased household wealth by $31 trillion. And, and that's a, a fascinating thing when you think about it, because most of you guys are probably thinking, well, how in the hell was that possible? Because I didn't see any of that money. Well, here's the caveat here. Most of it went to the top 10%. So if you're in a, a regular American, blue-collar person, or heck, maybe even middle class, and I don't even know if that really exists much, that's up for debate, you didn't really see if you saw anything out of that $31 trillion increase. Well, I have a good friend, Richard Vague, who wrote a fascinating new book titled The Paradox of Debt, A New Path to Prosperity Without Crisis. And Richard is going to help me break down all of this. Richard is an American businessman, venture capitalist, and author who served as Secretary of Banking and Securities of Pennsylvania from 2020 until 2023, earlier this year. And Richard actually has quite the unique background. He's from Wichita Falls, Texas, which I'm very familiar with. I have some friends, Richard, out of Wichita Falls, Texas, after growing up in Dallas, Texas myself. Uh, he attended the University of Texas and graduated with BS in advertising in 82. Uh, he then worked part-time at American National Bank in Austin, Texas, while attending college. After graduating, he became the bank's chief marketing officer. The point that I'm trying to make here, Richard is someone who understands and will help us unpack what this means for you. Now, Richard is no um, novice to the world of politics, and, and I bring up the political component of this because the reality is this is a big part of the conversation. Right now, you have President Biden talking about Bidenomics. On the other side, you have Republicans saying Bidenomics are not necessarily working. Now, depending on where you may find yourself on the ideological spectrum, you may agree or may not agree with that disposition. But, but here's, the, here's the, the reality here, guys. Most people are not getting richer. They're just not. I remember this George Carlin skit. I don't know if you guys are familiar with George Carlin, but I would, I would say go to YouTube and check him out. There's a skit that came out in, I don't know, maybe the mid-2000s. And George Carlin sort of laughed, and he goes on to say, the American dream, for those of you who believe it, you must be dreaming, because that's all it is. And as I think about that little skit, I think for so many of you guys, so many Americans across the country, they do feel like it's a dream, right? Because the idea of working hard, going to college or getting a, a trade and, and a skill and working your 40 hours a week will help you buy a house with the white picket fence or help you put your kids through college. I mean, that was what we were all told, at least for the past 40, 50, 60 years. But today, that doesn't appear to be the case. So, Richard, I want to unpack this first with the fact that 30 plus trillion dollar household increase in wealth. But no one's feeling this. Like, I don't know a single person and I travel the country all the time that has come up to me to say, sure, Michael, I'm making more money today. I'm saving more. My 401k is looking great. It's easier for me to put my kids through school. That doesn't appear 
to be the reality, Richard. Explain why. Well, the increase in wealth primarily came through an increase in stock market and real estate values. All that flood of money pushed those values up. But the truth of the matter is the top 20% of the country holds 70% of the stocks and real estate in the country. Wow. And the bottom 60%, that's six zero percent that's certainly the middle class, only hold about 14% of all the stocks and real estate. So if flood of money is pushing up in stocks and real estate, the wealthiest are going to feel that greatly. You know, you can come across a lot of folks that are in that top 10% that have seen their net worth double mm -hmm. over the last few years. But middle America has seen really no increase in their relative net worth. And that's not just been true for the three years of the pandemic. That's really true if you go back decades, all the way to the 80s. Uh, the net worth of the middle class has remained stagnant. And, and Richard, when you talk about that stagnation, here we are in the midst of inflation. Now, you know, granted, numbers appear to be getting better. Yet, Richard, the Fed chief continues to increase interest rates, I believe, another quarter basis points, if I, if I remember correctly, last month. Uh, that means it's going to be harder uh, to buy a home. Uh, credit card interest rates are going to increase. I, I mean, the ability to get debt, generally speaking, when interest rates go up, is harder for the average person. And we know that a lot of people, unfortunately, and we can argue whether this is good or bad, are relying on credit cards and other things to really stay above water because people just aren't making a, enough money. I was just looking at uh, one study from the Brookings Institute just a few days ago, Richard, talking about how most people who are indeed finding work or new jobs still are not able to make it. And when they did their overall analysis of the economy, wages have not increased. And one economist argued in the paper that wages haven't increased the way they should based on cost of living, rising cost of goods in about a pa in, in the past decade or so. So for the average person out there, Richard, who may get your book and say, OK, the paradox of debt makes a lot of sense. I like the arguments positioned by Richard. But what is it going to take for my life to get better? Because that's what people are asking. I'm doing everything right. And yet I'm still struggling. Well, first of all, I'm one of the folks that thinks the Fed has not needed to raise interest rates mm. and that those higher rent interest rates hurt middle America and once again help the wealthiest in America. And that's for the very simple reason that most Americans have more debt than they have assets, be it their mortgage or some other uh, form. And most of the wealthiest folks have way more assets than they have debt. So if the Fed has pushed up interest rates, it benefits those wealthiest and hurts the middle class. And frankly, it has been, in our view, uh, entirely unnecessary. Inflation, you know, you've, you correctly pointed out inflation has hurt us. Price, prices rose through last summer. Uh, but they, things started to level off. They didn't improve, but mm -hmm. at least they started to level off last July and August, that was at a point where interest rates were only 2%. So it clearly was not needed to get inflation to level off. And the three, you know, it from 2% to the current five and a quarter percent, which is what Fed funds rates are currently, mm -hmm. I think it's entirely unnecessary and has made things more difficult for the average American. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind. 
with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. And so, Richard, in, in your view, and I know you have a pretty holistic analysis of the factors that are driving both the financial crisis and spiraling inequality. What then should lawmakers, regulators, and the Fed chief do to lessen inequality? Because, I, I, I mean, I've worked in politics a long time on both the legislative side and, and the electoral side. And in my opinion... I really haven't seen a consistent or persistent effort to try to legislate a better way for people to make money, to try to legislate, uh, I guess, more equitable environment, if you will. So, so what will it take for our regulators and lawmakers to foster the environment where people don't see as much inequality as we did as we do despite them working so hard i mean i i was looking at one town hall an old town hall from a few years ago and a guy stood up and said i work 80 hours a week and i can still barely afford a mortgage i can still barely afford my car notes i mean how in the world is something like that realistically possible well that's been uh coming along for many, many decades. You know, real wages haven't increased at the pace of costs for many decades now. I think one of the issues is we have a lot of jobs, particularly in the tech space, but we aren't providing folks training in a meaningful way. We have a lot of folks that lost jobs in the 70s and 80s and all the way to the present as those got outsourced overseas and we really haven't retrained folks to, and paid for that training in a way that gets enough Americans into those good paying jobs. We kind of have a mismatch. So one of the things I recommend in the book is really very large scale financial support for folks to get training for better jobs. And I'm not talking 100,000 people. I'm talking, you know, a million people a year for the next 10 years. Let's Let's tackle that. So that'd be one thing that we prescribe. But but what's the incentive, Richard? Or or let me rephrase this. This perhaps would be a better way to ask this question. How do we incentivize companies to get on board? Because companies are bottom line and the primary concern is about profit. I want to make as much profit as I can and spend the least amount as I can. So how do you incentivize companies? large companies how do you incentivize the local you know mom and pop shop in a community to hire more people is that through tax breaks some other some type of tax incentive i mean what what does that look like for you well i think you get into a very productive area here mm -hmm. i think that there are ways we can use the tax code to bring support to middle america Earlier on, I said to you um, that this bottom 60%, six zero. It's a lot of people. Only, only have about 14% of all the stocks in real estate. So I think one of the things you could do is start giving tax credits to folks for purchasing homes, purchasing stock and others, so they can begin uh, to accumulate well. You could, since the numbers are so small in terms of the current ownership, mm -hmm. you could do that without penalizing government revenues. In fact, I think it would be a boost to government revenues. I also think the idea you suggest is a great idea. Let's give folks, you know, businesses incentives to hiring in the form of tax credits. I think the tax code is a, is a marvelous way to address this problem. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And I, I think your thought process is correct as well, Richard. I also think that we need to encourage companies to the point that you are making to spend money to train 
individuals for specific jobs. I mean, a lot I've I've seen companies say, well, we don't have enough people with with this particular skill set. Well, how about investing the money early on, maybe in high school? How about going to college and saying, look, it's great to study all of these topics, but we need people with this specific expertise and we're willing to pay for all four years so that we have a large enough percent of the population to meet the demand of those jobs. Why aren't we doing that? Absolutely should be doing that. And the government should be subsidizing that. It's one of the great travesties out there right now. We have millions of jobs going begging and we have millions of people that don't have a skill set to get them the kind of income that they would want. It seems to me like an obvious place for government to step in, provide financing, make sure it's tied to the genuine needs of businesses. You know, we know of programs where the businesses actually commit to the individuals to hire them before they even undertake the training. So when you walk in, you're taking training, you're getting it paid for, and you know as you embark on the program what employer you're going to work for, you know, mm-hmm. three months, six months, nine months down the road when you complete your training. I think it's a spectacular area for us to be focusing on, and we simply aren't. Yeah, no, we, we, we simply aren't at all. Do, do you think we aren't, Richard, because companies are lobbying members of Congress not to Uh, Do you think it's because members don't quite understand the complexities or nuances of economics? Like, like what do you think from your experience is the reason we haven't really attempted to address this as aggressively as we should? Well, I'm a little bit of a skeptic here. (laughs) You know, I think that um, the... Republican Party, you know, and I'm not trying to be political. On no, show, Richard, Richard, not, it's a political I'm, show. So let's go there if you want to. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not trying. You know, I got plenty of problems with both parties, but I think the Republicans have, you know, in the under Trump did a lot of tax reductions that primarily helped the wealthy. I think uh, the Democrats have done a lot of things and some of the more recent things actually have actually been quite helpful. And we can get into that. But I think if you think about the last 10 or 20 or 30 or even 40 years, neither party has really been properly focused on the middle class. And I think if they had been, we would see two things that we don't have today. One is the job training that you and I have been talking about. Mm -hmm. And another thing is more affordable health care. In my estimation, those are the two, you know two of the more important things out there that we should be tackling that we have not. All right, Richard, I want to take a break. When we come back, now you brought up both parties here, so we're going to go there when we come back from the break. I want to know what you think are some of the things that the Democratic Party has done recently that you think could positively um, contribute to the average American rising above the poverty poverty line or rising above financial uh, debt. This is the Sure Michael Singleton Show. My guest, Richard Vague, is joining us talking about economics, income inequality. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
guest today is Richard Vague, and we're talking about the paradox of debt, a new path to prosperity without crisis. And we're really, guys, having a serious conversation right now about income inequality. A lot of people across the country are struggling right now to make ends meet. Gas prices are now going back up. Uh, Buying food, eggs, bread, milk, all of those necessities are going back up. Uh, If if you live in a big city, more than likely, you're going to see your rent go up. If you're trying to buy a home, uh, we just saw data that came out a few days ago, that interest rates for mortgages are now going back up again. So it's going to be a lot harder for people to buy a home. And if you live in a place like New York or Atlanta or Washington, D.C., or Los Angeles, you know, the average cost to buy a 2,000 square feet home is about $900,000 to a million dollars. I don't know how many people have 20% of that to put down if you have to go through the traditional um, uh, t- traditional 20%. Maybe you can get an FHA approved loan with 3.5%, but again, depending on the city, most of those loans, at least to my knowledge, and it's been a few years since I worked at HUD, but most of them do not go over a million dollars. So you you might be looking at maybe $650,000 if you're in a major city, and that may not be a home that you desire. So there are all of these things from an economic perspective that I don't believe we're really unpacking or dealing with the way we, we appropriately should, which is why Richard is on the show. This is why Richard just wrote this new book to sort of help guide us through this and provide solutions to the problems that this country currently faces. So, Richard, before we took the first break, we got into a little bit of the politics and, you know, your book actually does address this a little bit. It touches on it in a couple of different chapters. But I do want to give you an opportunity to just talk about some of the things that you alluded to. You said Democrats have done some things that you believe lately have helped people. Maybe it's not far enough, uh, but I guess a little bit of help is better than nothing at all, Richard. Well, you know, one of the real surprises of the last few years, I think to me, and I think broadly speaking, is how productive the Biden legislative agenda has been. You know, with all the acrimony between Republicans and Democrats, <laughs> I don't think we would have ever predicted this, but we had a huge pandemic relief package early in his administration. We've seen the CHIPS bill, which is going to subsidize the manufacturing of computer chips here and is going to start to bring manufacturing back to the United States. We've seen infrastru- a very large infrastructure bill that's going to include not only regular infrastructure that we think of, roads and bridges, but it's going to have money for green tech, which irrespective of how you feel about that, those are jobs. Yeah. Those That's economic activity. So it it's really been one of the most productive legislative sessions in U.S. presidential history, which no one, I think, would have predicted. Most of that benefit is indirect benefit to households. In other words, you know, the money's going to a company and the benefit to a household will come if you get a job at one of those companies. There's, you know, past the pandemic relief itself, there lately has been very little that goes direct to consumers. Mm -hmm. One of the things that Biden tried to do uh, was student debt relief. I think that's a, a noble cause. I'm not sure... I would structure it the way he tried to structure it. The Supreme Court didn't allow it to go through. I still think we're in a situation where you have 43 million Americans that have student debt and are struggling with that. I think something could be done there. We have some ideas that we expressed in the book. But I think a lot's been done. Very very little of the recent stuff has been direct help for households, though. No, I I think you're right. I I do think... And I was sort of a rare champion on the conservative side of forgiving student loans, uh, Richard, in part because of the economic benefit that the net economic benefit uh, to the African-American community, to me, I thought was a very, very positive thing. And I think there was enough uh, credible and legitimate economic analysis from some well-regarded economists. Uh, that it would have improved uh, the overall wealth of the black community, uh, particularly for people in my age group. Uh, So I I would like to get your thoughts on how you think you would have proposed addressing student uh, debt in a way that could be beneficial to all Americans, but specifically people from marginalized groups. 
Well, if I had a magic wand, I would just make them educational grants. You know, I mm. wouldn't I'd get rid of all this debt, but that's, I guess I'm being a little too wishful there. <laughs> uh, the, the, the problem with, you know, we did that in the GI Bill after World War II. That's right. So, you know, it's possible and it clearly had a an enormous benefit at that point in time. So that'd be at the top of my wish list. However, you know, absent that, we do have ample precedent with things like, you know, with military service, you can get all or part of your college paid for with Peace Corps service with it. If you take a government job, you can get assistance in your college tuition. I think we should extend that to the private sector by allowing folks to do a meaningful amount of community service and get debt relief or debt amnesty as a result. And we propose that in the book. You know, and I and the, when I've talked to the folks about that, I've gotten a lot of positive response. Folks, you know, we we can't obviously, as the Supreme Court has said, go in and blanket forgive everyone, but we can do things to help folks out, and I think we need to get creative there. But Richard, how how do you build consensus uh, with Republicans? Because I mean, I talked to a lot of Republicans on the Hill. And again, this was one contention point when I went on TV and said I actually agreed with the president that we should have some type of forgiveness. Now, I also thought that it wasn't going to be constitutionally possible uh, because I, I just do not believe the executive branch has the authority to just blanket forgive debt like that. That rests uh, with Congress and, and, this, and the founders set it up that way for a whole host of reasons. But a lot of Republicans do not agree with that. So even if you were to figure out broadening or expanding a grant-like system. As you said, there is president with the GI Bill. Uh, you you could work for the government. You could be a teacher. That, that That's another one, I think, for 10 or 15 years, and, and some or all will be forgiven. Uh, you could do some stuff, for, uh, foreign services, go to another country. But I don't know, let's say that represents 5% of people who, who, who may partake in any of those categories. What about everybody else? I mean, the military right now isn't necessarily enticing for a whole host of people, Richard. Well, that's why I think we should expend it to extend it to any type of legitimate community service. Mm, so we okay. propose that with, you know, several hundred hours of community service that could include your local community center for high schoolers or helping senior citizens or, you know, helping the incarcerated individuals reenter the workforce. There's so many needy areas of community service that, frankly, are productive for the economy. Mm -hmm. And I think since this, the precedent is there with X hundred hours of military service or Peace Corps service, we have found a lot of sympathy for the idea that let's just extend that to other types of legitimate approved community service. And let's let let's you know, I think it could engender a service revolution in this country if you allowed something like that to have to happen. I think a recent grad leaving college with 50 or 100 thousand dollars worth of debt is is going to be willing to spend one or two hours a week in a community service over a period of years for the early forgiveness of their debt. And that's going to orient them to service in a very positive way. I think that's a valid point. Do you think, though, Richard, if you look at some of the private firms and the amount of debt that they owe, a corporate debt is a legitimate problem, and we don't even talk about that enough. What plans would you support or advocate for to tackle that particular issue? As we think about tackling household debt, that's one side of it. But then you also have the corporate debt that really sort of goes under the rug. Well, you know, I'm going to separate corporate debt into two parts. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to talk about debt for big business, and I've been in and around big business enough to think that they can take care of themselves. <laughs> and, and so, so what I'm really concerned about is small business. And I do think there's a lot of small businesses that are struggling with debt. And legislatively, we could facilitate ways that they could really do what are in, in large businesses referred to as debt for equity swaps. Mm -hmm. Yep. This is where you can give the lender part of your business 
in exchange for reduced loan amount and reduced monthly payments at the option of the small business, not the option of the lender. And I think that's a very productive, it's like getting, you know, uh, it's like selling equity. Mm -hmm. It's a way, it's a way to uh, de-risk your business, uh, improve your cash flow and put you in a position to succeed. Now, Richard, I I like that idea, but I'm going to push back and hear me out here first. How do we prevent those lenders from becoming predatory? Because that would be like if, if I were a member of Congress and I'm drafting this legislation or I'm signing on as a co-sponsor of this legislation to do the very thing that you just said, a part of my fear would be that we foster an environment of predatory lending or predatory borrowing, if you will. H- how do you prevent that? So, so a private, a small business owner may say, OK, I can go and start this company. Um, I'll get great interest rates and I can sell 15 percent. Uh, back to the lender for for lower payments over the next 15 or 20 years. How do you prevent that lender from being predatory against the entrepreneur or or certain individuals from certain groups, for example? How how would you prevent that? Well, predatory lending is a big problem, and it's been a big problem for two or 300 years, (laughs) and it's going to be a big problem for the next two or 300 years. (laughs) Fair enough, fair enough. And, and, uh, and it, we need to be vigilant about it. And one of the things that I have, so I'm a career lender, so I know this space pretty well. And I see what's happening today. Mm-hmm. As soon as you do things legislatively, like put in, you know, interest rate caps and things of this sort, yep. uh, you know, you, you do that. And a few years later, all the smart lawyers have figured out a way around it. So I can't say anything other than we need to put, you know, regulations and legislation in place to prevent predatory lending. But when we do that, we can't be satisfied that we fix the problem permanently. And we have to remain vigilant because sure enough, five or 10 years from now, if somebody's going to have figured out a way around that, (laughs) we're going to have to make some other legislative change. It's been there since the beginning. It, it has, and I, and I guess maybe it's a part of the complexity of the problem is why we ne- don't necessarily have a substantive enough solution to it. Do, do you think, Richard, for people who are trying to start a, a business, and, and, and I'll, I'll put it this way because most of our audience here is African-American. During the COVID pandemic, we saw about 52% of black-owned businesses dissipate. I mean, they, they just completely went away. And I haven't necessarily seen a focus to get them back. And so as we think about lending, for example, as as we think about debt overall, as we think about wealth generation or generational wealth, what steps should we take as we think about this paradox of debt to really have specific targeting of certain communities to build that wealth and not be over leveraged and not have an overburdened amount of debt, which is what we see when we start breaking down these categories by race. Well, I think it's a huge and important issue. Uh, A startup business, I actually run a venture capital firm Mm -hmm. right now. We, you know, we see startups and the wrong way to start a business is through debt because you kind of get behind the eight ball from the very time you Mm -hmm. start. If you've got a loan payment, the way to start a business is equity. And for most businesses that really starts with not only the savings you might personally have, but friends and family. And that is a classic and appropriate first stage of starting the business. You get your, aunts, your uncles, your friends, your high school, but you know, whomever you beg, you look under the couch cushion, you know, you find a a little bit of capital start the business and it goes from there. But I think that one of the ways that we could benefit the African-American and, you know, the Hispanic community and others Mm -hmm. is by programs to put more equity into institutions that invest in uh, black and brown businesses. And a great example is here in Philadelphia, where we have something called the Enterprise Center. Oh, yeah. Uh, Center. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, a, a magnificent individual named Della Clark, who runs that, who's something of a legend. And, you know, historically, what she brought to that community was debt. But she will tell you that the light bulb went on for her a few years ago. And she has raised a fund that's an equity fund that is not debt. And he, she has rightly concluded that's the way to get businesses off on the right foot. And, you know, most of the equity she'll invest is not in an absolute startup, but for a business that's been there for a year or two or three, and it's got some traction and needs what's called growth capital. I personally think, and I actually advocate this here within Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. that, you know, if the state or the city, you know, uh, Dell has in the has raised $50 million to do that. That's a magnificent start. I, fr I frankly think an easy way for a state or city to augment that would be just to add to the capital that she has and others like her around the country have. I think that's one of, it could be one of the more important things going on. No, I, I think you're right, Richard. And, and I would like, uh, during the Trump administration, Donald Trump, Trump promised these enterprise zones um, I, I thought at face value, there was a lot of potential there. But as we have assessed and analyzed the data since, unfortunately, they were not as effective as I personally had hope, hoped they would be. But but I think there is still potential there with Republicans and Democrats working together to 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 look at historically marginalized communities and figure out how can we support through federal and private partnerships the necessary funding to help entrepreneurs start their businesses with equity, as you stated, versus with debt, because you're already starting behind the finish line. And when, once you start thinking, Richard, and you know this well about expansion, uh, you start thinking about research and development. I mean, trying to bring something to market, if it's a product you're trying to sell, it is almost impossible to do that if you're starting off with a significant amount of debt. But Richard, I want to go uh, to Glenn out of Alabama who wants to talk about student loans. Glenn, welcome to the Shermichael Singleton Show. You're on with Richard. Thanks for calling in. Oh, thank you. I wanted to talk about your idea of the community service, which is a good idea in practice. I actually was supposed to have taken advantage of one of those, which is, I did seven years as a prosecutor or as law enforcement, which means that I should have been forgiven for my government loans. The problem with that is the merchandising of the loans. I would fill out the forms and turn them in, but before the form could get there, the loan had been sold to somebody else, so I had to start all over again, which made it unpractical to, to utilize the, the system that they had. Richard, what are your thoughts on well, that? Well, uh, first of all, thank you for calling and thank you for your wonderful service for all those years. You know, the community and the world needs people like you. The second thing I would say that the programs that had been in place uh, were administered in a horrifying way, in my opinion. And yours is one of thousands of stories I've heard where through some technicality, uh, someone who had put a lot of voluntary service in was disqualified from forgiveness. I think that's an absolute travesty. It was horrifying. I think that's being rectified a little bit, as best I can tell, under the Biden administration. But it's as if folks were trying to prevent folks from getting those benefits. I mean, when I heard the stories, it was like, you know, it was that nightmare where, you know, some little incidental thing was disqualifying someone. So absolutely, if we did this, it has to be done in a way where it's clear that we want to, to, uh, to adjudicate in favor of the borrower and try to get more people in the program rather than less. Glenn, you got a quick follow-up? No, I think I think he's, he's pretty clear. The question is, is that something that actually is politically feasible? <laughs> well, that's a good question, Glenn. 
I got to take a quick break, guys. My guest today, Richard Vaig, the author of The Paradox of Debt, A New Path to Prosperity Without Crisis. You can order a copy on Amazon.com or wherever else you may purchase your books. We'll be right back after this. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. author of The Paradox of Debt, A New Path to Prosperity Without Crisis. I highly recommend you go to Amazon.com or go to the app if it's on your phone and order your copy of the book today or wherever else you may find your books. I actually talked about the book today on my Instagram, and boy, as I told Richard before we went live, there were quite a few people in the comments debating it, saying I'm, I'm going to get a copy of this book uh, because what's going on with the economy right now is insane. I am struggling to make it. I need to read something from someone that's trying to offer solutions and make sense of all of this. Well, Richard Vague has just done this in The Paradox of Debt, so get your copy uh, today. By the way, uh, the phone lines are open. You guys are calling in always at the end of the show, but I, I love you guys for it. Nevertheless, the phone lines are open, 866-801-8255. Again, that's 866 801 8255. If you have a question for Richard, whether it's about student loan forgiveness, uh, if you're an entrepreneur and you're trying to start a business and you're not quite sure how do I start my business with equity instead of debt, as Richard and I have discussed, uh, we want to hear from you. Or if you have a different question for Richard about economics and debt, generally speaking, give us a call again, 866-801-8255. Richard, we're going to go to Elizabeth in Illinois. Elizabeth, welcome to the Shermichael Singleton Show. You're on with Richard. Thanks for calling. Hi, and good afternoon. Can you hear me? Yes, ma'am. We can hear you. Good afternoon. Okay. Thank you. I'm an educator in Illinois, and for many years, I worked as a full-time higher education um, employee, and I've also worked as a part-time employee. When I left full-time and went to part-time, in order to get student loan forgiveness, you have to work 30 hours a week, and there's no way that a part-time teacher, which they call adjunct professors, which are the bane, actually, of higher education right now, because they're not hiring full-time, they're hiring part-time teachers. So I'm advocating for my part-time teachers as well as myself, because we teach a class or two a term, And you can do this for years and years and years and have student loan debt. And some teachers, not myself, but some are teaching at multiple institutions, wearing themselves out, and they can barely afford to eat. So um, I I know in the state of Illinois, my senators, Durbin and Duckworth, Mm -hmm. have a bill that they're working on. I want to know how to get a hold of them. And I also want to hear what the gentleman, Mr. Vague, has to say about that. Richard, uh, go ahead, and, and I'm going to go ahead and research quickly for Miss Elizabeth here how to get in contact with her senators. Go ahead, Richard. Well, thank you for your services. Uh, the teaching is the bedrock of the nation. It's the bedrock of the economy. The folks that are training our young people are the ones that 
are going to mold our future. And I got to tell you, I could not agree more with you. You know, I think we ought to have programs that are more generous rather than less generous. Do we want qualified people in the teaching profession? Do we want to support those folks? Absolutely, yes. The benefits ought to take into account not just full-time folks, but part-time folks. And as you well know, there's a lot of institutions that are actually trying to reduce their benefit costs by shifting to having more part-time folks rather than full-time folks. It's kind of a technique for dodging the costs of benefits. Wow. And, I, and I, I, I'm troubled by that and completely support your idea that these benefits ought to be available for part-time as well. Miss Elizabeth. Thank you for that. So to, to answer your question in regards to how do you contact your senator, I don't know. Do you have a, a pen and paper in front of you or maybe you can type this I up do. on your phone? Okay, so if you go to www dot durbin uh -huh. d-u-r-b-i-n dot senate dot gov slash contact you will see every single office from the dc office chicago springfield uh, carbondale and rock island uh with e with email addresses and phone numbers for how you can contact senator durbin's office okay okay i appreciate that thank you so much because yes they had a bill out there and I think it just died. Uh, Cory Booker was a part of it as well. And mm -hmm. there was a, also a senator from California that was a part of it. And I think they need to revive it and let's move forward because moving forward, um, there won't be full-time tenured professors. Institutions are using all part-time people, like your, um, your guest said. And it's going more and more in that direction. And it is to save money for the institutions. So... I think uh, that population needs to be rewarded. I really do. No, I, I think you're right. Miss Elizabeth, I think you're right. And I want to appreciate you uh, for, for calling in and, and being an educator. My grandmother was an educator for 40 years, so I have a special place in my heart uh, for educators. You guys, you, you're like a parent. You're like a mentor, a counselor, <laughs> and a teacher all wrapped into one. So I absolutely respect yeah. what you all are doing, and I, and I agree with you. I think it's important to pay people uh, fair wages. And, and, and Richard, and, and thanks for calling in, Miss Elizabeth. Richard, you know, what Ms. Elizabeth raised here goes to everything we're talking about and everything you've written about in the paradox of debt. And, and, and that is how in the world do we foster an environment or encourage these entities? I mean, it's not just big businesses, Richard. It's colleges and universities who are looking for every way they can to make all the profit in the world without paying people a fair wage. I mean, here you go with higher learning saying, oh, wait a minute, we don't want to pay people more money, so we will only hire them as an adjunct professor. They work 30 hours a week or 25 hours a week or whatever the case may be. We pay them you know, a, a decent wage. That's not going to allow their student loans to be forgiven, as Miss Elizabeth uh, just articulated. I mean, how did you solve this stuff, Richard, if these companies are, or, or entities are purposefully doing these things? Well, colleges are a special situation. And right now, colleges, especially uh, smaller colleges, less well-known colleges, are having financial struggles that are just hard to imagine. We've had a couple here in Philadelphia fail. We've had any number of these institutions merge together. So they need all the help we can give them. So that's why I continue to look to the federal government itself. Mm -hmm. The federal government holds most student loans. The federal government's in a position to provide relief, benefits, amnesty. So I think she deserves what she's asking for. I think that's something the federal government is in a, in a well position to, to do if we could make it happen legislatively. Yeah, that's the question, Richard. And and as you and I both know, there's just not an appetite. I mean, you can't even get basic things accomplished in, in this Congress, let alone something like student loan forgiveness or 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 debt forgiveness or or at least debt relief alleviation, if you will. 
um, or alleviation, if you will. But but Richard, let me ask you this: We have four minutes left uh, in the show. Again, I, I think you provide a lot of fascinating solutions to many problems in the paradox of debt, which again I highly recommend people to go and purchase via Amazon. Uh, it's a great book. Some things I agree with, some things I don't necessarily agree with, but I'm a conservative, so no surprise there. Uh, but I like the fact, Richard, that you try to provide solutions to the problems that so many Americans are experiencing. And so as we prepare to wrap the show, and, and guys, I just saw a call just dropped. If you want to call in 866-801-8255, I'll try to get you in quickly. But Richard, as we prepare to wrap here, what hope, if you will, would you give to people who are listening to the show? They like what you're saying. The solutions make all the logical sense in the world. They're practical, but they just don't have confidence that any relief will come. What do you say to those people? Well, you know, never give up and never give up hope. We're in a, we're, you know, the, the fundamentals of the economy are there for prosperity if we just nurture them. And yes, we're frustrated with Congress. And yes, we're frustrated that certain things can't happen. But we've got to keep the good faith and we've got to keep trying. And that's what my book is all about. I'm suggesting ideas. And I don't say that these ideas are the be all and end all. I say these ideas are food for thought. Mm -hmm. And we need all the creativity we can get out there. We need for folks to vote. We need for folks to do as Elizabeth is about to do and contact our good public servants like Senator Durbin. We need to, rem we need to keep our voice out there. We need to keep the faith. We need to keep hope. There's a lot of spectacular potential in the economy, we've just got to keep our shoulder to the wheel. And and Richard, in, in the two minutes we have, and people who are in debt right now, what would you quickly say to them? The folks who, who, are, who are listening saying, Richard, I can't make it, man. I have thousands and thousands of dollars of debt. What do I do now? Well, you know, we talk about bankruptcy in the book, and we talk about the fact that bankruptcy is not really debtor-friendly. You know, folks that file bankruptcy, it's it almost always relates to a job loss, a medical emergency, or a family disruption such as a divorce. These are not reprobates, irresponsible people. These are people that have legitimately hit the wall. So one of the things that I talk about in the book is bankruptcy reform to make it such that people can get back to financial vibrancy and financial health. So I'm never going to counsel somebody to file bankruptcy. Sure. Some folks have to do that. Uh, as short of that, I think there's discipline that all of us have to exercise in our personal financial dealings. Keep the faith. Do what you can. Uh, for those that need to resort to bankruptcy, as tough as that now is, sometimes that's the way they're going to have to go. Well, Richard, I appreciate you for coming on the Sir Michael Singleton Show, The Paradox of Debt, A New Path to Prosperity Without Crisis. Uh, my guest today, Richard Vague. This is the Sir Michael Singleton Show. Thanks for listening, guys, and thank you, Richard. Thanks so much for having me on the show. 